0: This episode of Local Knowledge is presented by Dow. From golf courses to golf clubs, Dow's material science solutions play a key role in evolving the greatest game through technology advancements. Dow's ambition is to become the most innovative, customer centric, inclusive, and sustainable material science company in the world. One platform Dow is using to achieve this sport. Only 13% of Americans follow science, but 71% follow sports. That means sport provides an incredible platform for sharing the exciting power of science, like the innovative Dow technologies that improve performance of everyday products, including those you rely on as a player or golf enthusiast. From impact modifier technology that enhances golf ball durability, to silicones that boost UV protection and sunscreen, to textile solutions that help manufacture your favorite golf polo using less water and dye, you can trust that Dow is working behind the scenes to improve the golf experience through science. Explore more about the science behind sport at www.dow.com backslash golf.
1: And the Oscar goes to...
0: The Academy Awards were last week, and once again, millions of people tuned in to see which films and performances were ranked better than the rest. When it comes to movies, we like confirmation that our favorites are also the favorites of other people. With golf courses, it's not much different. But instead of an Oscar, the crowning achievement for courses is making it onto Golf Digest's biennial list of America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses. And rather than the Academy, an organization of more than 7,000 film aficionados choosing the winners, the voters are some 1,900-trained panelists telling you which plots of grass, water, dirt, and sand are better than others. When Golf Digest's ranking of America's 100 Greatest Courses is unveiled this week, you can be sure the list will be debated, scrutinized, and yes, criticized by golfers around the country. Here's Golf Digest Steve Hennessy, who is tasked with overseeing this sprawling network of course panelists.
2: Every club feels that you know they belong on a certain list. They think their baby um, deserves recognition, and uh, you know it's a very competitive uh, hundred greatest and second hundred greatest. So you know there are courses that are very close to making it, but they fall just a couple, uh, you know, couple decimal places shy. So I do feel a lot of questions and you know emails and phone calls from clubs it's mostly just me informing them of how the process works um that's the biggest thing and like i said the nice thing is that you know i have the data to point them to it's not um it's very easily defensible
0: so how can we definitely say one golf course is greater than another and what exactly does that process look like i'm alex myers and this is local knowledge where we take a deep dive into some of golf's most compelling stories. On this episode, we're unpacking Golf Digest's ranking of America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses, which has long been the industry standard for declaring greatness in golf design. We'll get more into our intricate and evolving process of how a subjective term like greatness is determined through numbers. We'll also talk with our architecture experts about our latest ranking and the traits they look for in a great design. But before we discuss what the list is now it's important to understand its beginnings and how it's changed in the decades since. So how did Golf Digest start ranking golf courses and how has it evolved? Well, in the early days, it was closer to how they pick a pope than the scientific process it is now. Golf Digest Editor-in-Chief Jerry Tardy remembers the thrill he got from being present when the industry's heavy hitters gathered every couple years at the US Open to offer their thoughts on the country's best courses. And if you happen to have won a few majors, well, your opinion was certainly heard. Here's Tardy describing Sam Snead at a selection meeting in 1981.
1: You know, Sam, for example, hated Murray. Okay, um, he he uh, he had his own prejudices, you know. <laughs> but he, he would say, you know, you got to grow the the grass up to your ass at and to make it a decent <laughs> golf course. Uh, yeah. But but he was in there just as engaged as as PJ, Bo- PJ Boatwright and, and others in giving us his opinions. And I think that's been the strength of our list is that we're not, you know, it isn't one editor sitting in an office deciding. It's it's you're taking knowledgeable people who are in the field, actually experiencing these courses over time.
0: You could say the magazine has always taken these rankings really seriously. Although the evaluation system of going around a room and getting a thumbs up, thumbs down, or stay the same gesture was rather rudimentary. Sneed, Byron Nelson, and Cary Middlecoff were just three of the luminaries involved. But it wasn't just touring pros. People like Boatwright, a former USGA executive director, former USGA president Sandy Tatum and Bill Campbell, and legendary instructor Bob Tosky were all major influences in the early days of the ranking. Although initially, the ranking was based on something quite different. In 1962, mapmakers C.S. Hammond and Co., had asked Golf Digest for a list of the country's best courses for its cartographers to chart, but editors thought such a list was too subjective. Instead, the magazine embarked on a four-year project using USGA course ratings, along with its own research, to determine the country's most difficult tracks. The first such list, America's 200 Toughest Courses, was published in 1966. The list was called America's 100 Most Testing Courses the following year, And it wasn't until 1975 that it was called America's 100 Greatest Courses. At that point, though, difficulty and greatness were basically one and the same. Slowly but surely, that began to change. Tardy recalls something that Dave Marr, the 1965 PGA champ and later a broadcaster with ABC and a Golf Digest columnist, said in one of those early selection committee
1: meetings. He said that the definition of greatness was The answer to a simple question, would you tell your best friend to get off the interstate to play this golf course? Um, And uh, and that 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 is that was the beginnings of trying to define greatness, because for years, greatness was simply difficulty.
0: And for years, the list was broken into tiers of 10 until Tardy, who became editor in chief in 1984, oversaw the change to a true one through 100 ranking. It seems like an obvious decision, considering how virtually everything is ranked now. But the pre-internet days were different. Such a system made it tough for any course to make any dramatic moves up or down, but Tardy remembers one particular meeting at Marion in 1981 that resulted in a big shakeup. Someone dared stand up and declare that Augusta National, which had been in that first ten on every previous list, was overrated. One by one others agreed. It's probably worth noting that no augusta national members were in the room at the time
1: and there was this groundswell of unanimity that that augusta should be out wow. and the, the that november this was in june that november we knocked augusta out of the top 10 and it was on it made the cover of golf digest wow. um and that that was it, it, it was the kind of the high point of national panel meetings
0: there are no such shakeups with the newest ranking as Pine Valley remained number 1 for the 15th time out of the 19 editions in which the courses were ranked 1 to 100. Augusta National meanwhile has held steady at number 2. In fact, after getting knocked out of that first 10, Augusta has been in the top 3 on every list since 1985, even claiming the top spot 3 times, most recently in 2015-2016. Pebble Beach was the only other course to ever rank number 1 in the 2001-2002 edition. A true 1-100 through ranking coincided with an even bigger change, when the small selection committee was replaced by a system of regional and national evaluators, and for the first time, a more standardized way of judging was implemented, with panelists asked to assess golf courses on seven categories on a scale of 1-10. to A golf course's total points from those evaluations was used to make the ranking beginning in 1985. That process has remained in place since, with the list expanding to a second hundred greatest beginning in 2013,
1: we felt like creating some kind of a of a quantitative measurement that we would pause, like in a census, and take stock every two years, knowing that 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 tastes would change. You know, there was a time when Robert Trent Jones was thought to be the best architect, right? And then there was a time when when Pete Dye was thought to be the best architect, and then Tom Fazio, and right. you know. Today, you know, whether it's Doak or or um, Bill Corr and Crenshaw or or Gill Hands, you know, these these tastes change, and they don't change universally, but they change uh, in waves. Um, and I think that's that. Really, as time went along, we felt like we were doing the right thing by making this move.
0: The seven categories introduced to assess golf courses were shot values, resistance to scoring, design balance memorability, aesthetics, conditioning, and tradition. Conditioning might seem like an obvious one, seeing how we often associate good golf courses with being in pristine shape, but others have argued otherwise, perhaps best summarized by the late Charlie Price.
1: Charlie said, in talking about conditioning, he said, you can't judge the beauty of a woman by her hairdresser. <laughs> and and the point was that uh, don't overrate conditioning, right. that it's really the architecture, the layout, the, right. the difficulty, the uh, resistance to scoring. the, right. the uh, right. All these things were new terms that we were banding about at the time.
0: Those seven categories, along with the panelist process, have remained relatively unchanged for nearly four decades. The credit for that, Tardy said, goes to longtime Golf Digest architecture editor Ron Witten, who found and approved panelist's and then train them in what to look for in a golf course.
1: I felt like he was the best, the second best, the third best, the 10th <laughs> the best right. judge of, archi- of architecture than anybody else. He, he just, and the reason was that he not only studied it as a student, but he actively sought out the architects. He has played not only these great golf courses, thousand of them plus (laughs) but he's played them with the architect who built them wow Um, and that is what distinguishes him from everybody else
0: as someone who has had the pleasure of sitting in on one of ron's panelist seminars it's indeed quite the education only then might you realize why a course was routed a particular way or why that pesky pot bunker is so freaking pesky
2: Once the curtain is drawn back a little bit on really what makes a great golf course and, you know, listening to Ron Witten train our panelists for the last six years, um, you know, I've just soaked up so much. This just adds to the enjoyment of a round. If, you know, if you could notice little subtleties and, um, you know, little trends and, and different features from certain architects. Public Rec is the first to bring tailored sizing to leisure wear so that you don't have
0: to choose between comfort and style. The Workday Pant is made to go with you from the golf course to the boardroom and anywhere in between. Made with premium fabrics and specific waist and inseam sizing, the Workday Pant will be your go to in no time. Visit publicrec.com backslash golf. That's P U B L I C R E C.com backslash golf to grab a pair for your next round. So what makes a great golf course? Everyone has their own opinions, but let's start with those seven categories. Actually, let's start with the most important one, shot options, which was formerly known as shot values. As you can probably gather, this has to do with the options a course gives golfers, whether off the tee, in recovery shots, or around the green. And this is the only category worth double points. Confused?
3: Allow Golf Digest's current architecture editor, Derek Duncan, to explain. If you stand on a tee and you just see two straight lines of rough or two bunkers out there and all you're trying to do is hit it down the middle, there are really no options there. You know, you either do it or you don't. (laughs) You could club down or or hit driver. But if you have a hole that's laid on the diagonal with a bunker short and you can play left of it, over it, or take a chance and cut it over right of that bunker, now you have options. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm not thinking about any of that when I play.
0: I'm just trying to make contact with the ball. That's fine. Just know you probably won't be selected to be one of our course panelists, because applicants must have a handicap index of 5 or better. There were slight tweaks to four other categories as well. Resistance to scoring is now called challenge. Design variety is now layout variety. Memorability is now distinctiveness, and ambiance is now character. Aesthetics and conditioning remain the
3: same, although the latter underwent a significant change 16 years ago. Since 2005, we want our panelists to judge a golf course, not on lush conditions, not on greenness, but on the playing surface. Is it, is it dry? Is it fast? Is it firm? Do the greens hold? Do they roll true? I, I think a, a key difference from the previous category definition, because we're, we're, we're keeping in mind now um, water usage. chemical usage, conservation, best practices. We're trying to get our panelists to to look at golf courses as a playing surface rather than a luxury item that you can trick it up, I guess, is one way to put it. On average, panelists
0: rate 15 courses a year by filling out
3: evaluations
0: in an online portal. But the bare minimum is 10 every two years. And you lose your playing privileges if you don't keep up. Actually, there's a long list of guidelines that panelists have to follow including a code of conduct. Most are to ensure they don't embarrass Golf Digest, but also to protect the integrity of the ranking. Panelists are allowed to accept a comped round from a club they're reviewing, and they can bring one guest if they pay
3: for it. But that's it. The emphasis is on the golf course and not the overall experience. We really don't want our golf golf course panelists to go to a golf course and Swept away by the locker room or the clubhouse or the service or the fact that the pro came out and shook their hand or okay. or, or the 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 soup at for lunch and the whole experience <laughs> of it. That's that's great if you're if you're playing a golf course and you're enjoying it on your own. But for the purposes of evaluation for our rankings, that's something that I know our panelists and probably every panelist gets swept up in a little bit. And now you're, now you're evaluating a golf course on these things that don't have anything to do with the architecture or the right. actual course. So that's a big mistake that, that, that people make is is just being caught up in the moment, you know, right. and it's fine to do that when you're on your own, but it's not something well, that's valuable to us when we're assessing greatness. Oh,
0: and even if a panelist brings a guest, they're not to engage in any sort of wagering or serious competition too often golfers equate how they scored on a particular day to how much they like a particular course. Admit it, you probably have a couple courses you're not a big fan of because you went through a few sleeves of Pro V1s there. So how a panelist plays during their rounds shouldn't really matter, but whether the golf course is a suitable challenge still does. And that's evidenced by Pine Valley once again being rated the greatest and most challenging course in the U.S. The famed New Jersey layout certainly kicked my butt when I got my first crack at it last year but it also stands out for its distinctiveness. I'm not one to recall every hole usually, but here I could remember all 18. It's just one of those places that feels different. Speaking of feels, it should be noted that certain courses have inherent advantages based on history or location. Augusta National had the highest character score, no doubt a reflection on the special place it holds as the host venue of the Masters, and seaside courses, led by Cypress Point, dominate the aesthetics category.
1: Cypress Point on California's Monterey Peninsula is viewed by many as the most beautiful golf course
0: in the world. It should also be noted that a drawback with using so many panelists and compiling so much data for a list that comes out every two years is there can be a lag when it comes to identifying potential trends. Golf Digest's process has never claimed to be perfect, but what ranking system is? Just look at the official World Golf ranking which gets torn to shreds when a player moves up after not even playing that week. But again, I didn't create our course ranking system, and I've never officially rated a course, so don't come crying to me. As Tardy noted, not even Ron Witten ever judged a course during his 35 years at Golf Digest,
3: nor do our current editors. Here's what Duncan looks for, though, in a great one. The first thing, very simply for me, it's greens. If if the golf course has a compelling set of greens with nice movement and interesting shots that pose interesting hole locations and recovery shots, I'm in. The rest of the course can be a little flat. It can be uh, underwhelming. That you know, I, I'm okay with some some bare spots on the fairway, right. some rough at, rough around the edges components. But if there's a good set of compelling greens, I'm in. And what is he out on? You know, I think the worst thing when you're playing golf for me, the most negative aspect is looking for lost balls. You know, if if I could find a golf course where I can hit the ball, even if I'm out of position and and have a really difficult recovery, if you can see the golf ball, find the golf ball and play the golf ball, I think that's an important component that didn't describe a lot of golf courses in the 1990s and prior. Uh, That wasn't something that was really being built into architecture or redesigns. Now it's a big component. It's kind of spreading everything out, creating some width you know, thinning out trees, just creating a, a wider playing surface. Um, that's something that I think is a real trend right now. And I respond to it. Is it the best way to challenge you know, the elite player? Maybe not. You know, that's another discussion. For the 100 greatest and second
0: 100 greatest lists, a course has to have been judged 75 times in a rolling 10-year period. That's a higher bar than the 30 times needed to be considered for our best in state or best in Canada lists. And the 35 needed to qualify for our best public courses list. Keeping those numbers up ensures a strong sample size. It also means it's possible the course you feel got robbed simply didn't have enough evaluations within the past decade. Actually, just tell yourself that. It'll make you feel better. Of course, this all raises the question of whether average golfers need to be looking at golf courses through the same prism as panelists. To listen to the architecture nerds in our office, though, a little bit of knowledge certainly
2: can't hurt. Yeah, I do find myself pointing things out to buddies who... They, sometimes they just kind of look at me like, "What are you even talking about?" Like, with like, I throw I threw out uh, chocolate mounds to or chocolate drops to a buddy um, last weekend. He, chocolate drops. What, what are you talking about? I was like, "Oh, Donald Ross." It's like one of his signatures. No, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I do have to like, I I kind of have to code switch depending on who I'm playing with. Whether you know, I could turn on the, the nerdy. Course design uh, speak, or, you know, just kind of enjoy a round of golf.
0: Which is why Hennessy and Duncan are happy to oversee more course panelists than the magazine has ever had before. Sure, there's a lot more to keep track of, and they've had to play the role of bad cop more than they'd like, but there's a wider variety of tastes being factored in as a result. The only adjustments ever made are when Dean Knuth, the man behind the course rating and slope rating system used throughout the country, analyzes the data and tosses out any statistical outliers. The result is as objective a list as possible for something so subjective.
1: It is real people applying quantitative judgments to qualitative judgments, but it's honest. And I think that's that's why America's 100 Greatest, as ranked by Golf Digest, is so respected in the game.
0: At Public Rec, they know greatness comes in many shapes and sizes. That's why they make leisure wear in waist and inseam sizes because they believe comfort starts with a better fit. And when things fit better, they look better. No tailors, no settling, no stress. Comfort and style all in one. That's Public Rec. As we've seen throughout the lifetime of Golf Digest course rankings, taste changes. But true greatness doesn't go out of style. Which is why so many of the top courses are familiar names this year beginning with a top 10 that saw a couple of slight shifts, but was still composed of the same courses as two years ago. That top 10? Pine Valley, Augusta National, Cypress Point, Shinnecock Hills, Oakmont, Marion, National Golf Links, Pebble Beach, Fishers Island, and Sand Hills. That doesn't mean a newer course can't crash the party, though. Take Congaree Golf Club. The Tom Fazio Track in Ridgeland, South Carolina, opened in 2018 and debuted at number 39 ahead of celebrated championship
3: courses like Bethpage Black and Baltus Raw. Any course that rises is going to love our list, and any course that, that you know falls a few spots, or there's a few courses that we'll see when this list uh, comes out that have plunged, you know, dropped 20 or so places. And they're not going to be happy with the procedure and our criteria and the way the process goes, but that's the nature of it. I mean, there are golf courses that if you look back on lists from 20, 30 years ago, uh, were ranked very highly and now aren't even on the list at all. And that's just a reflection of uh, the way tastes change, essentially. Uh, right. People have, like different things in golf courses. Those golf courses haven't changed. They're essentially the same courses that they always were. But the the taste of the panel, the taste of architecture, the trends, the artistry has has moved on to other things. And that's reflected always in our greatest 100
0: what isn't reflected at least not yet is an eighth category called fun and it means exactly what you think it means this new criterion is even more subjective than aesthetics but it has emerged as a characteristic that panelists are looking for in courses keeping with the trend of difficult designs falling out of favor panelists have been evaluating courses on fun for the past two years but there wasn't enough data to officially count again not yet It'll be interesting to see how much of that will shake up the rankings if and when that goes into effect. Of course, to the true architecture student and lover, fun is always part of the equation when evaluating a golf course. Just listen to Duncan describe the enjoyment he derives from the different challenges presented on a great one versus a more
3: straightforward layout. A golf course that isn't great sets you up to hit it down the center of the hole every time you know you're not thinking you're just getting up there and you're pulling the driver and you're just trying to get it between the lines and it's not it's not asking you to engage with the architecture in any right. way it's just asking you to execute the same shot over and over again that's fine for for some golf courses and some people and maybe on a saturday morning for 20 dollars that's 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 all you want but that's not greatness greatness is every hole you think, what can I achieve? What's the course asking? What questions does it pose? It's a constant swirl of deliberation and and riddle and problem solving that if if you understand that and and you come to a golf course where you have to take all of that into consideration and make decisions, that's, that's greatness. As Duncan noted, there's usually a steep price involved with experiencing such greatness,
0: at least on the level of those courses in our top 200. Some are ultra-exclusive clubs like Pine Valley or Augusta or Cypress Point. Or they come with a green fee like that at Pebble Beach, which works out to around $30 per hole. So how can your course make the cut? In recent years, there's been a trend for clubs to undergo major renovations to reinvent themselves, often by returning to elements more reminiscent of the original architecture. A course like Bel Air Country Club improved by 43 spots to number 127, the biggest jump on this year's list after Doak restored the 1926 George Thomas-William F. Bell Los Angeles gem. But Duncan and Hennessy are quick to point out it doesn't always work out that way, and the best strategy for courses is to do what's best for their members and let the results take care of themselves. Tardy says Golf Digest founder Bill Davis always believed the next wave of golf stars after guys like Nicholas and Palmer would be architects. Maybe it hasn't worked out that way, but at least every two years, the likes of Fazio and Doke get their moment to shine.
2: It is a true art form, and it, it takes a certain appreciation for that art form to really learn more. And that's the thing, you can never learn enough about course design. There's always something new to learn, and that, that's one of my favorite parts about it.
0: That may be true, but greatness can still be boiled down to that same question Dave Marr posed to a Golf Digest course selection committee decades ago. Would you tell your best friend to get off the interstate to play this golf course? And greatness certainly doesn't end with our list. My golf buddies and I are partial to Mike Strance designs, but only his renovation of Monterey Peninsula Country Club's Shore course cracks the top 200. That still won't keep me from telling, heck, begging people to get off the interstate and check out one of his original works if they're in the area. So if you still feel like your home club or favorite architect got shortchanged on this year's list, Feel free to complain. Just not to me. Please. Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Wyman. Our music for today's episode is called Escape Backdoor Delay and it's by Lobo Loco. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts and check out Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast, Be Right. Thank you.